The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm Ian Irving and with us today are Andy Mitten and Carl Anker. We've got lots to get through on the podcast, but of course it was a very different weekend as all football was postponed in England as a mark of respect following the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. You can read Oli Kay's piece on the Athletic right now where he asked if it was the right thing to do. Of course, the reason given was purely as a mark of respect, although other sports, including both forms of rugby and cricket, did go ahead. Uh, Manchester United's match against Real Sociedad, of course, still took place despite kicking off only a couple of hours after the um, Palace had announced the Queen's passing. And Carl, you were there like I was. It was um, it was a bit of a surreal atmosphere, wasn't it? But a very impeccably observed minute silence to, to kick off what was a lovely tribute. Yes, yes. Uh, it's a real circumstance at a time of national mourning. Um, I understand that those who did watch the game on British television, BT Sport, didn't provide half-time coverage or post-match coverage. There was no press conference, um, no mix zone. Uh, it was very much a a game of football occurred mm. uh, and little else extra to do with anything else. The one thing it does do, Carl, is it gives English football as a whole... Quite a quite a tricky dilemma to work out when to play these matches now because we know this season, of course, with a, a Winter World Cup was going to be difficult anyway. Uh, there's an interesting piece on The Athletic that I can recommend from Phil Buckingham about the talks that are taking place about even this weekend's games because, of course, Manchester United against Leeds, amongst others, needs a huge policing presence. And, of course, what's happening in London um, on Monday with the Queen's funeral and the build-up to that also needs an unprecedented police presence. So it's a real predicament, Carl, isn't it? Yes, uh, a really tricky situation. Uh, I've been looking at the fixture list, trying to see if there are any available weekends. Uh, and it appears, I mean, to, to link back to the game against Real Sociedad, Manchester United, very much it's in their interest to top their Europa League group to avoid a possible round of 32 game against whoever comes out of the Champions League after the World Cup. Can you just um, explain why, Carl, please? So, um, if you finish second Europa League group, you play an extra round of the Europa League against whoever comes third in their Champions League groups. Those games happen in the new year, um, in midweek, uh, whereas anyone who tops the Europa League group gets a bye and goes into the, to the round of 16. If Manchester United were to come second in the Europa League group, which might happen now they've lost the Real Sociedad, that fixture will have to be fulfilled. And if there is to be a fixture to, that needs to be fulfilled in terms of Premier League standing, a very good time to put it would be when other Europa League teams are playing in the round of 32. So uh, we've said before, we said last week in terms of Europa League, it'd be it's quite important that Manchester United top the group but also do it in a way where they don't necessarily have to play too many of their first team players. I think the result and the recent wider news has created a situation where you might see stronger Manchester United squads for the remaining games. Andy? Not only is it important United top the group, given that Sheriff won their opening game, if United lose on Thursday, they would be six points behind Sheriff after two matches. And... Sheriff beat Real Madrid away last year, who won the competition. They're not jokers. They're clearly not as good as Manchester United in theory, but then nor are Real Sociedad. United have got to try and finish top of a group, which means 
going to the Basque country uh, in November in a country where United have got a pretty poor record. United record against Spanish teams is really, really poor. And I think United should be going to win the Europa League. I think it's absolutely worth winning. I think it's a serious competition. We saw that in 17. We were gutted in, in Gdansk after that penalty shootout. I think it's where United are at at the moment. There's a lot of big teams in this competition. Long gone are the days of turning your nose up at this competition and mocking Liverpool by singing Thursday night Channel 4. So this week's game in Moldova is really important because of the issues you were discussing before that with potential fixture congestion. The last thing United need, if the team are to get out of the group, is another home and away. You just promoted Thursday night football there, Andy, to Channel 4 from <laughs> Channel 5. It was even more disparaging back in the day, wasn't it? Uh, right, I need to point out at this point, as it stands, the match on Thursday against Sheriff in the Europa League is set to go ahead. The club have confirmed that. And as it stands as well, the Premier League game against Leeds on Sunday is scheduled to take place too. But I get the feeling that might be subject to, to further talks and maybe some further announcements to come as well. Remember, keep your eyes peeled to The Athletic for the very latest on this. You can subscribe now for just £1 a month as well. For the first six months, go to theathletic.com forward slash Pod and sign up now to get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcast too. That's theathletic.com forward slash Pod. <laughs> Okay, right, let's get into the the game on Thursday night then, Carl. Um, It wasn't the start that we expected to Manchester United's Europa League campaign. Let's talk about the the match and and what happened on the pitch in this section, if we can. It was was pretty disappointing, wasn't it, to be fair? A stronger starting lineup than I expected. I think we we both had a look at the the UEFA tactical sheet as they came through and we were going on with our pens and pencils going, ooh, didn't expect that. Um, But in terms of football very little meat on those bones mm. um Casemiro looks okay for the first 20 minutes he, he had a little bit where he came down in, on the right hand side and did a couple of tackles and he got nutmegged and then started taking some pot shots from long range which is not what I want Casemiro in my team for uh Christian Eriksen was good for 45 minutes but 45 minutes that I truly didn't expect him to play um and Cristiano Ronaldo again had a worrying moment where he had a yard or maybe two yards on a centre-back, was running towards goal and the centre-back caught up with him. He's not getting the shots away that he would have got a year ago or maybe two years ago. The lack of pre-season, we'll attribute it to a lack of pre-season, but I'm beginning to get concerned about the fact he can't get the separation away from a defender anymore. Yeah, that does seem to have changed from even last season as well, Carl, doesn't it? I, I don't remember this being an issue for him during the last campaign, certainly the start of last season. Remember that, that goal on his debut against Newcastle uh, when Luke Shaw played him through? There was no keeping up with him then. It's only a year ago. So there were times in the January-March section of last season, so during Ronaldo's goal drought, you know, the longest time he had gone in a decade without scoring, where there were two or three moments where defenders had the first five minutes where they would back off because it was, oh my God, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. And then as the game progressed, sort of realised they could catch up with him. But it, it was that thing of the aura is still there and they, they weren't constantly going for it. There was a point in the Brighton victory where Ronaldo 
ended his goal-scoring drought where he was caught by a defender. And I remember texting Andy Naylor, the Brighton reporter from The Athletic, and I said, is this centre-back meant to be quick? Uh, and he simply replied, not really. Uh, and <laughs> since then, there's been two or three moments where, where younger centre-backs are, are able to, to, to close him down. Uh, and I think that's probably the bigger concern for Manchester United's attack right now. Is the fact that it, you know we've gone to all this effort to, to keep Cristiano Ronaldo, um, and he already requires a number of tactical concessions you need to make in order to mm. accommodate in the team, and now Ronaldo might not be able to get the shots away that he used to be able to get. Yeah, uh, Andy, I remember that chat we had after that Leicester game, and I think Laurie and I were were really, really enthused about Casimiro and his influence and what he did to the game that night at the King Power Stadium when he came off the bench. I was shocked. When he didn't start against Arsenal, uh, I have to admit, I thought it was an absolute nailed-on choice to play in that game. But then when I watched him on Thursday night, perhaps I understood the decision that Eric Ten Hag had made to leave him on the bench. He didn't look right, did he? Is that is that me overselling it? He, he, being there at the time, he, he, he looked very sluggish. I think you're being fair. I think he was mediocre at best on his debut for Manchester United. I think he's a great player and he'll come good. And most of the team played poorly. I thought Fred, who normally plays so well with him for Brazil, was also poor. Eriksen, as you touched on, uh, was easily the best player, but then he came off um, very early. It was a stronger side. I expected Manchester United to win the game. United were poor. Real Sociedad played well. They were better organised. But I don't think they were particularly... This this wasn't Athletic Bill, Club Bilbao coming to Manchester United in 2012 and playing United off the park. This wasn't Deportivo La Coruña uh, destroying Manchester United either. It was hard for in unusual circumstances. I cannot overstate how much that victory meant to Real Sociedad, how much beating Manchester United at Old Trafford means to Spanish clubs beyond Barcelona and Real Madrid. And Sidlo tweeted this at the weekend, and he's absolutely right. Uh, it is a cause for huge celebration that a club operating on a budget of, what, a quarter of Manchester United can go there, uh, can win 1-0. I interviewed who I thought was their best player uh, two days before the game last week, Mikel Marino, who played for Newcastle United. And I got a clear sense that they felt, maybe vengeful is too strong a word, but that 4-0 defeat for uh, Larry Allen in Turin against Manchester United in uh, 2021, they were really stung by that. They didn't think it was a 4-0. They didn't think they did themselves justice at all. They didn't think it was fair that the game was switched to Turin, but they didn't complain about that because it was not the right thing to do when people were, were dying during the pandemic, but they, yeah. def they definitely felt that. So they went there uh, to Old Trafford pretty determined and, and they got a result and it was, it was headline news. And... All tickets have been sold for, for the home leg and it, it, it's a really, really uh, big deal for Real Sociedad to win that match. United have got to bounce back from it quickly as. I think United are absolutely capable of winning in the Basque Country in November. But it was a strong team, which, uh, which was selected by Rick Ten Hag, which just didn't turn up. And Ronaldo was concerning watching him. I think he's done well when he's come on a substitute. In, in recent matches, he's, he's made an impact, but that header he made was, was superb, uh, but it was offside. 
the, the, the changes, uh, the players who came on. United brought five different players on. And Martinez was probably the best one, but uh, it was his arm which led to the Real Sociedad penalty. It shouldn't have been a penalty. And his leg. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> should not have been a penalty at all. And that's not sour grapes. It just should not have been a penalty. Harry Maguire, I don't think he did much wrong. That was his first start since that disastrous game for everybody against uh, Brentford. Um, Malassia was involved, um, but made little little impact over, overall. It was pretty worrying. Now, after four straight wins, OK, there's a chance for United to recover after that. This is what the group stage is for. United don't need just to go to Spain and win. There's five games still left in this group. If United don't turn up for their matches, they don't deserve to be going through it. Yeah, I think the thing is, Carl, with the, the players who did get a chance in that match, there wasn't really anyone who you'd, having watched that 90 minutes, think, well, he'll definitely play next game. And that was maybe what Eric Ten Hag was hoping for, that perhaps some of these players would, would challenge what he seems to be settling on as his first eleven. Yes, so Ten Hag's played his cards pretty close to his chest regarding the Europa League. He I mean, if you ask him what he wants to do this season, he's always going to, he's going to gives you the same, we want to win every game. Stock answer. <laughs> yeah, um, we're getting used to that already, aren't we, to be fair? But you're watching that and you're going, you know, last week I wrote a piece about how, why Scott McTominay is keeping Casemiro out of the team. I, I probably didn't need to write it. I could probably could have just showed you the Europa League and Casemiro did not look, at the moment, uh, capable of playing at the intensity that Scott McTominay is currently playing at. Isn't that a bizarre sentence? Um, I was also concerned about the right back situation. So Diogo Dallo plays uh, the majority of the, I'd say, you know, 15 minutes or so. Uh, and then Victor Lindelof eventually gets moved over to right back uh, due to some changes when the Sanjay Martinez comes on. Was, was Aaron Wambasaka, so he was on the team sheet as a substitute, but he was sat in the director's box. Is that right, Carl? That is correct. Wambasaka right. was sat in the director's box along with Luke Shaw, Brandon Williams, and. Axel Twinsaby and other players. Um, Were they also so, listed on the bench, though? Or was it just him? No, no. Um, Aaron Wambasaka was the only player right. listed on the bench. Do we know why? Was, I, I have no idea in, in terms of why that occurred. But if, if we are to assume that Wambasaka is more of a watching participant of football games at this point in time, for whatever reason, then it does leave Manchester United a little threadbare right back. Especially not just for you know Dallow is is very important for defending, but you know Jaden Sancho on the right hand side with Victor Lindelof who wasn't offering any overlaps. Jaden Sancho was a non entity going forward as well, um, and Anthony also didn't really sparkle without without a fullback helping him. So this is the interesting thing with this with Ten Hag right now in that he seems to get. He seems to have got an 11, maybe 12, 13 players who understand the automatisms or the style of football he wants to play. But now he needs to get players 15 to 18 to 22 to understand as well. And at the moment, they, they appear to be having some teething problems. Yeah, the other factor, Andy, as well, is Real Sociedad were probably the first side who sort of sat in against Manchester United and gave them a different type of challenge than maybe the likes of Southampton, Leicester and and Arsenal in the recent matches, Liverpool too, who who had the majority of the ball, who were quite willing to attack United at their opportunities, whereas Sociedad sort of picked, or L'Areal, sorry, um, picked their moments, didn't they? And, and that is going to be a theme that United do come up against again, of course. Um, 
So it was interesting, really, that the first team that did that to them, they seemed to sort of struggle to work out again. United have struggled to break down teams who do that in recent seasons. It's been a big change that teams like Brighton and Brentford did not do that, but actively targeted Manchester United defenders. With Real Sociedad, I know that the the people who, who were, were scouting them, uh, the coaching staff, they felt that they were a, a dangerous team, a brave team, a team who were good to watch. I don't think they were particularly good to watch at Manchester United on Thursday, but they've got some technically excellent players and they made the best use of them. They hit United very, very cleverly. They know that Manchester United have got better players. And again, I'll take you back to that game in Turin. When they were more adventurous last time against Manchester United, using the same manager, bang, 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 bang. They got hit for four goals. So they were not going to make that mistake again twice. It's the first time they've scored against Manchester United in, in five matches. So they've been learning. And when you've got a very stable club, which they are, with a brilliant youth system, even though they lost, lost a lot of players in the summer, stable president, stable manager, you can listen to your manager and, and do something which is very specific, which is what they did at Old Trafford. be interesting to see what they do at the home leg, well, the, where there will be more pressure on them to attack. I was impressed by, um, my apologies if I get his name wrong, Takefusa Kubo who was there, the winger number 14. Um, there were a number of Japanese journalists um, at Old Trafford who were following him and, and basically spoke effusively of him, saying he's the best Japanese attacking player we've seen in some time. And he had some real neat touches played on the left-hand side of, of their attacking diamond, David Silver up top as well. Uh, and yeah, gave, gave Dalo um, things to think about, causing Casemiro to come, come back as well. This is a... They're not an adventurous side, they're not going to score a lot of goals, um, but they're very good at recycling possession, very good at using possession as a defensive tool. Um, and they were less naive than they were in the last match, so they weren't leaving all that space in behind. And yeah, they, they essentially smothered the space, controlled central midfield, and then when the opportunity came, um, yes, it came from a penalty, but you know Manchester United are beginning to have a tendency of defending very, very deep within their own penalty area. So you always run the risk of shenanigans occurring. Um, it, it, was, it, was, it was interesting. Though. I think we, we said another other week on the podcast, we, we need to see what happens to Manchester United when they go a goal down. And now we've seen it. They huff and puff. Just on the theme of Japanese journalists, it always blows my mind how many journalists travel across to follow their players. It's absolutely incredible the numbers that they cover um, that their stars with. I mean, when Shinji Kagawa was at Old Trafford, there was always a huge, huge Japanese presence. And when he left, it just disappeared overnight. Like, no one in Japan was interested anymore. Um, but I'll take you back probably about eight years, seven or eight years, and there was a young player at Arsenal called Rio Meachi uh, who went on loan to Wigan. Uh, and ahead of the first game of the season, they were playing... Um, against Chelsea uh, and even Roberto Martinez's press conference which wasn't a very well attended affair uh, I should say um, suddenly was engulfed by double the number of journalists and half of them are from Japan and of course every single question uh, was about their player anyway fast fast forward to the Saturday or the Sunday game I think it was at lunchtime uh, the team sheet drops and I'm not exaggerating there's probably about 12 Japanese journalists at the DW Stadium for this game no one's interested in Wigan normally. No one's really that interested in Chelsea in a sense. They've all come to watch Rio Maiachi. 
The team sheet dropped, and bearing in mind Roberto Martinez had been effusive in his praise for his new player that he'd got a loan from Arsenal in the press conference, there is no sign of Miachi in the starting eleven or in the wider squad. Uh, and I have never seen so many disappointed faces. In fact, one of the journalists went up to the press officer, Ed Jones, and said uh, that he wanted to make a complaint to Roberto Martinez that Miachi wasn't in the starting lineup because they'd all travelled um, on the basis that they were going to watch their young star play and he wasn't there. Um, it's always stuck with me, that. I can relate to it and go back even further uh, to 2002 when I went to Bolton Wanderers <laughs> to interview Sam Allardyce. Oh, when Nakata came across? No, Nakata was no. a bit later. Nakata actually played right. a bit for Bolton. Nakata was like a, a big established star. Bolton had a, a, a player and... I ain't remembering this off memory. I've just had to Google it, I'll be honest. Uh, Akinori uh, Nishizawa. I went to Bolton's training ground, which they loaned near Chorley. And there were like two local journalists there. Exton. Okay. And there were a dozen Japanese journalists there. And only two English journalists covering Bolton Wanderers, who were a Premier League time. And I couldn't believe it. You've got like 12 people for a player who I don't think played a single first team game. And (laughs) I was there to uh, interview Allardyce and he said, look, let's do the interview in my car. So we got in his car and we drove from there down to to Bolton. You did an interview in his car? Did an interview in Sam's car. Were you in the passenger seat? I was in the passenger seat. Yeah, yeah, so I'm I'm going down the M61. You look over to the left to see Bolton's new stadium. And yeah. Big Sam looks at it, and, and I, being a stadium geek, says that that's that's one of the best new stadiums. And he shakes his head and went, we built a monument when we only needed a stadium. 50 million quid that cost. I could have spent 15 million of that on players. <laughs> and, and there was also an implication that he had a, a bit of a headache because of the media attention around the Japanese player who I sensed was not getting anywhere near his first team. And then to Kagawa... When Kagawa signed, I thought it was a brilliant signing. Brilliant numbers in the Bundesliga, assists, goals. I've been to see him since. He's quite a likeable person. And half of Japan moved to Manchester to cover him. As a journalist, I actually started writing for a lot of different Japanese magazines, but sometimes I'd have nothing to write. So it would be like, um, yeah, he attended the supporters' Christmas party at the weekend and he really impressed people because he tried his English and he did or you know this week Shinji Kagawa tried a cup of English tea for the first time and it had been news in Japan I remember the game in Olympiacos away where United lost and the story was United losing but to the Japanese journalists it was all about Shinji one of them chased me out the ground came up to me with a microphone like I was um Someone he, he was like chasing, you know, and you see people leaving court. Gary Cosrell and Eric Ten Hag vibes, by any chance. And then another Japanese journalist went, whoa, whoa, he writes for us. Don't be going up to him getting a quote from him. He's contracted to us. I'm doing nothing. I'm, I'm saying absolutely nothing. So I think it's great that there's this level of enthusiasm for Japanese players. And because it's a wealthy country, they've got the the, the money to put resources behind it and, and, and send players. Happy to say that several Japanese players have gone on, gone on really well. One final story: about eight years ago, I get a phone call off a fella who says, "Any chance you can take the captain of Japan round Old Trafford for a day?" And this was a lad who played a good standard, 
lovely fella, spoke a bit of English, was wanted to be a coach, and so I, I had him on like Smart Busby Way selling United Week stands. And no one recognised him because he wasn't that famous. What? Honestly, took him all around, took him to introduce all the lads, took him inside Old Trafford, not in press seats, in the proper seats. He was the current captain of Japan at the time. He just retired from being the captain of the Japanese national team. Kept in touch with him. <laughs> you had him doing a shift. Yeah, I had him selling United. We stand just for like 10 minutes. Who is it, Andy? He was called Miyamoto. Lovely fella. He, he played like 70 times for, for Japan. Tosenasu Miyamoto. Yeah, that's him. That's him. Right, and right. When I sat with him, he said, the last time I was here, I was marking Wayne Rooney and Michael Owen. And it was wonderful because he, he spoke okay English. And I got him, um, not only did I get him selling United We Stand, he was totally, no one recognised him. Maybe one or two um, Japanese people did. But I got him a, a pie and a bovril. And I also remember him saying, <laughs> maybe it's not healthy to eat all of the time. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, no shit. But he was. Uh, that was his feedback. Yeah. Well, he's he's right, isn't he? But he loved it. He loved the atmosphere. It was a United Liverpool game, and um, he absolutely loved it. He was travelling around Europe, and I also introduced him to uh, Paddy Crerand. I don't think he understood a word he said. <laughs> but I, I kept in touch with him so that when when United signed Shinji Kagawa, I uh, I emailed him. I've got it here. So this is in English. Hello, Andy. I'm doing well. If you go to Tokyo, there's a new tower called the Tokyo Skytree, but you must have tickets to ascend. Let me tell you about Kagawa. He's very quick and strong, especially in the narrow areas, but he doesn't have a powerful shot like Rooney. It's more of a controlled shot. It's quite accurate. If you remember that finish against Norwich for his hat-trick, that was very controlled, wasn't it? What a brilliant tangent that was. Speaking of random tangents, you've got quite a trip ahead this week as well, Andy, because you're going to go across and cover United in the Europa League against FC Sheriff. They're not actually playing in Tiraspol, where the team are from, because that's classified as a as a war zone and UEFA have moved the game to the capital of the country in Moldova. But it's still quite a trip for you, isn't it? And quite a trip for the team as well, I imagine. Yeah, it would be the first time that United have played in Moldova. I'm, I'm, I'm deep into a geopolitical article for the Athletic here where this group is very interesting because it would be the first time United have played a Cypriot team as well. Although United have played in Cyprus before, so I'll, I'll explain all of this. So Sheriff have had to move from... Uh, Transnistria. I got told off for my pronunciation when I mentioned it a few podcasts ago by a Russian speaker. Oh, really? <laughs> he pronounced it wrong, and, it, and he was right. I did pronounce it wrong. Uh, okay. So the game's been moved to um, uh, Chisinau, the capital of Moldova, and it's there's no direct flights there, so the United fans will go in, and plenty are going. They've got to fly via various places in Europe to it. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I like going to new places. Uh, the weather should be quite nice there. My only dilemma at the moment is whether to book um, an old Soviet-style hotel, which is about two quid, or go for something which is um, a bit more modern. And I asked my wife, and she said, I didn't even know you were going to wherever you just told me you're going to this week. So she gave me no advice whatsoever. I, I was going to say as well, don't get her to Google it, because she might not let you go, in fairness. She'd be worried for your safety, potentially. Is there a concern, seriously, is there a concern about people's safety or what's been said? No, there's not. There's, um, and, I, and I've been to places before where the foreign officer said, do not go there. Sinaloa in Mexico, went to see Maradona, and I'm glad that I went there. I've been to Syria, I've been to Iran. Going to Iran caused me huge problems going to United United States after, mm-hmm. uh, because even now it says if you've been to Iran uh, since 2011, 
you've got problems. Well, I'd been to Iran and Syria as well, uh, so I've, I'd, had, I'd had problems. But no, you can travel to Moldova. You're advised not to go to Tiraspol, where Sheriff play their home matches. Yeah, I think there'll be an interesting tale or two. Laurie's going across as well. Carl and I will be watching it from the comfort of our sofas. Um, we'll have a we'll have an interesting tale or two to talk about. I'm sure from you two over there. The, the one thing about this game, Carl, and just that little sort of tee up that Andy gave it, it's going to be a real occasion for Sheriff. This isn't it. It's the first time that United have played in in Moldova, like Andy said, um, and for them, you know, having taken the scalp of, of Real Madrid last season. I'm sure they'd love to add Manchester United to it. United are going to have to match that energy, aren't they? Oh, yeah. I think Group E is going to be full of a lot of teams that add an extra 10 to 15% because they're playing Manchester United. And that's that's just what happens when you're a team in Manchester United size and you're in the Europa League. They are no slouches. They will probably look to do to Manchester United what Manchester United have done to Arsenal and Liverpool, which is you know sort of see possession leave the middle areas a little bit and then try and attack really quickly on the transition. They have a number of very good young talents, um, some from Nigeria, some from Brazil as well, and beware. And did you think United will name a stronger side given the postponement at the weekend? If that Crystal Palace game had gone ahead, maybe Eric Ten Hag would have had a different team in mind. But certainly considering the first result against Real Sociedad as well, could be full strength, couldn't it? This team beat Real Madrid away last season. I, I keep saying it. They beat Real Madrid away last season. That's how good they can be. They lost a lot of players when the conflict started in neighbouring uh, Ukraine. The part of Moldova they are from is Russian-speaking, and, and that's why they're not allowed to, to play the games there. So there's a lot of geopolitics here. But in terms of a football perspective, they're bankrolled by Sheriff, which is the dominant company in the part of Moldova where, where they are from. As Carl said, they've drawn the players from wide backgrounds and they've been very successful. They win the Moldovan League almost every single year and they've established themselves as semi-European regulars. They beat the Cypriot team Ammonia in the first game pretty comfortably. Standards are actually surprisingly high in Cyprus, as we'll find out as this group stage progresses. So treat... United will know absolutely not to treat um, Sheriff to respond lightly. Yeah, there's a detailed and absolutely fascinating, I have to say, backgrounder by Nick Miller that's on The Athletic as well about FC Sheriff, which, when you strip it all back, are actually named after the fact that the owner of the original company, Sheriff, who are actually supermarkets, I think, quite like Western films. Uh, that was one of the interesting takes <laughs> I took from it. And that's why the company ended up being called Sheriff. And uh, and now the football team is called that as well. But go and have a look at that on The Athletic right now, if you want to know more about a team that are described as Moldovan minnows, but they're going to be a huge obstacle for Manchester United, no doubt, on Thursday. Right. Let's talk about Anthony Martial, Carl, because um, whilst we've not been playing football, he's been doing quite a lot of talking um, and some very, very interesting lines he has come out with as well. You've sort of fact-checked them, I think we should say, for The Athletic. Um, was he talking rubbish or was there some elements of truth in, in Martial's stories? I'm going to say it recolours a lot of what we sell in this okay. podcast. So I, if we take everything that he said to, to be the truth, um, he... The, so he said he had an injury that was undisclosed uh, uh, for the first four months of the season after the COVID season. I'm going to treat 1920 as the COVID season. Okay. Um, so Manchester United lose 
Europa League semi-final against Sevilla ends 1920. 35 days later, they're back for the new start and they lose to Crystal Palace. So Martial is saying he was injured for those first four months of that season, which means he comes, well, at least according to him, he's able to accelerate from December. Now, he doesn't score a goal in those four months of that season. So he said for the first four months of that campaign, he was unable to accelerate. Yes, he said he was unable to He said he was unable to accelerate for the first four months, which if you take that as just, you know, it, it, I'm going to give anti-martial benefit of doubt. He did not score in those first four months of the season in the Premier League. He scores two goals in the Champions League group stages and he looks quite off form in those first four months. You, you remember it in the October, that's when Paul Scholes said he conned us into thinking he was a proper number nine. So that, okay, makes sense. Thumbs up. No questions asked. Not going to worry about that. The the thing is, Martial plays worse after those four months of that season. When um, he can accelerate. When, when according to his own, he, he's he's recovered from whatever injury he has. Okay. Um, the, the nadir of Martial's season, I think a, a, a number of people believe, was Manchester United's 2-1 defeat against Sheffield United, which was in the January. Um, and, and according to Martial's own timescale, he, he's fit. However, <laughs> the other interesting bit is when Martial admits it's true, he's not always been consistent. Um, he says he needs to. he's not someone like Edison Cavani who can give 300% even when he hasn't played too much, which I think Andy will have a comment about Cavani last season. But the fact that Martial is able to admit why he's not great, again, recolors things. Because well, for the first time, it... it it gives fuel for the fire of Manchester United fans who think Martial doesn't have the <clears throat> correct mentality. I'm putting this in air quotes. Whenever a new striker comes in, which has happened more than once, um, and it also, how do I put this? It also helps me understand Martial's shooting form. So throughout United's uh, his United career, Martial's shooting form and his ability to, to perform or, or outperform XG tends to go through really, really, really slow peaks and then they fall off a cliff. And it's been very weird if you were you know, talking to all the stats people and we'll go, oh, what's happened? And you say, well, it's probably a psychological issue. He's probably moved out of position. Something's probably been said to him by a football manager, you know, be it Jose Mourinho or whatnot. So Martial saying these things about Marci- um, about Mourinho and saying things about his confidence has also recolored that. So I'm not going to say Martial was talking nonsense. I will ask. I will ask. Why did you keep playing bad after you could accelerate? And then I think we should get into a wider conversation as to why does Martial need acceleration to do things where he has been given an array of coaches who have tried to show him things you don't need to run at top speed to do. Okay. Uh, it's just really strong as well, isn't it, Andy? That that was the thing that jumped out to me. I mean, he said Jose Mourinho dis- disrespected him. He described his treatment from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as almost treachery. I mean, obviously there's an element of this being translated from French, I'm sure, and perhaps the words have a slightly different context, possibly, uh, if I'm being kind. But... Um, he called Louis van Gaal a gentleman as well, who sat down to him and explained things to him. I thought that was a, a colourful um, part of the interview too. I think the bottom line to all of this is, if Martial feels that there's been vindication for some of the problems that he's had at Manchester United down the years, it feels more like Eric Ten Hag is going to be that gentleman that he needs than perhaps Jose Mourinho or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been. 
And if these reasons are true as to why he's suffered uh, under those two bosses, now is the time when he's back fit to show that this account and these reasons are correct. My takes from it, in addition to, to what Carl and what you've said, are A, interesting that he spoke to France football. Clearly feels far more comfortable speaking in French. Uh, he's been at United, what, 2015? I've watched him around time. the world. I feel like I barely know the guy. The only time I've had any sort of flicker from him is when I told him I was working with Patrice Evra on his book and that I'd been to his neighbourhood and to his house. And the perception of Anthony Martial in Les Ulis, where he is from, is completely different to how it is in Manchester. His family oh. are really well respected there. Mm -hmm. Good people, pillars of the community. Um, I was shown the, the team buses that Anthony had paid for for his local club, five buses he bought for them. So he cuts quite a surly distant figure in Manchester. That is not the, the same picture as you get in France. So he spoke to France Football, hugely respected football magazine. I know the aggregators have ripped it off and maybe they have twisted it. My French is imperfect. I, imperfect? What am I on about? I don't speak French. <laughs> and, and it's his version of the truth. And I'm sure he believes that version of the truth. And footballers always have their own version of the truth. And one of the first thing managers say, who used to be footballers, is I had my version of the truth. Now I've got to take on board 24 versions of the truth because I've got all yeah. of these different players. So there yeah. is an element of that. Another thing he says, I don't doubt it's true. A lot of players also say this, most notably Roy Keane, I played when I was injured. I ran through walls for that man, that man being the manager, in Keane's case, Ferguson, when I was injured. Are players ever 100% fit? That's doubtful. This was an issue with Cavani, since you asked me. There's a feeling that he needed to be, and Louis Sahar as well, 100% fit. Whereas there were other players there who felt, I'm playing whatever. Well, Harry Maguire has been a, a, an issue with that, hasn't it? Given Eric Bailly's comments recently, which felt like they were referred to the, the moment where Maguire was picked half fit, you know, ahead of him. It's clearly, a you know, an ongoing thing fitness isn't it it's not a destination it's a journey to use a well-worn cliche it's a bit of a tinderbox especially in those two covid seasons where there is minimal time to train uh, and get fully fit so you know that that's you know 2021 is a seventh month season but had eight months worth of fixtures in it and there was just constant churn so Martial says he he had an injury that was not properly disclosed and he could not accelerate i'm not going to question that and you know, I looked at the numbers, looked at the fixture list. That kind of checks out. He doesn't score a goal until after that four months expires. And he gets you his wonder first. why it wasn't revealed at the time, doesn't it, as well? It's a strange one in that that, in theory, is, is backup. If Martial was 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 unable to do it, you know, Cavani mm -hmm. took a bit longer to, to get to 100%. You know, Cavani becomes a, a starting player around about late December, which is, again around about the time Martial loses his place in the team as well. I'm not going to question that. I also think that what Andy's just said about Martial's perception in France is very different to one in England. There is a there is a quote from Martial saying, I have a reputation for being lazy and being surly, which is, and I'll, you know, I'll say it, I, I'm sure there's some insidious racism at play about saying Martial's uh, arrogant and lazy. Whereas, again, if you look at the statistics, for those seasons, Martial was one of the best 
one of the better United attackers in terms of off the ball work. In terms of pressing an opponent, he was the one that ran up and tried to make some tackles. I think a Do you know as well, pro- if you speak to people around the club, around the training ground, they don't talk about uh, you know a moody player mm. um, as seems to have been sort of attached to Martial. From the start, I, I, I can still hear... Uh, the pundits after the Southampton game, I think it might have been Paul Scholes, um, sort of saying he doesn't look like he enjoys scoring goals, like cheer up, what you you know, what you what you worried about, sort of thing. And that that's just like hung over Anthony Martial ever since that moment, and he's never seemed to be able to break past that, despite how many times he smiled scoring goals for United and, and playing for the team. His character, speak to anyone who knows him around the club, is the opposite of Moody. He's actually got quite a strong strong sense of humour and usually has a smile on his face the majority of the time, very dry-witted. I think he's put his his own personal barriers up so high because he's been through a couple of changes in, in, in his private life as well. That is for, if you know me and trust me, if I know you and trust you, you're on the inside and I can be the real me and that's the personality you talk about. Inside the United dressing room, Inside uh, Banleo in Lesulis, where he's from, hugely popular there. They're incredibly proud of him and Patrice and Thierry Henry. They're all from the same um, really small small area. He grew up in a tower block overlooking a football pitch, by the way. Really? How's that for chasing your dreams? If you're going to ask me to list the 10 moodiest Manchester United players, Martial would not be in that list. No. So no, that just shows. Enough. Now, what he hasn't done is he's done no media. Not really. He's not cultivated any relationships with anybody Paul Pogba did this he's done very limited media club media where it's colour by numbers stuff so when you read a warts and all interview like we have done in France football it's it creates the talking points that we're now we're now talking about it is I am mildly amused by the fact that Paul Pogba has departed and yet we're nearing into the rational break and we've once again got another French football player giving an interview. That's okay, fine. Let's bring no, you're right, Carl. I, I know um, that um, when France played, I know the people in Manchester United going, who's going to do an interview on this international break? Yeah, and that goes yeah, back to, yeah. that goes back to Laurent Blanc. I, mean, I agree. This is this is a number of football players aren't aren't really giving too many interviews things media. I I think that might be an us problem rather than a player problem. It might be. Um, they, do, um, they don't have a high reputation of the British media. So I'll say that. I'll also say, again, the last two seasons were mostly behind closed doors. Mixed zones weren't there. Press conferences were over Zoom and whatnot. So the opportunities to talk were limited. Of these Martial quotes, there is nothing in those quotes that I can say that makes me go, that's absolute bobbins. Um, and I'm not going to say... Solskjaer did this or did that. I, I can look at all these things in Martial. I say this all makes sense within the way you view the world, and I can't see any reason as to why you would view it differently. I will say, for a wider thing for going forward, what happens to Martial? I don't think the big thing for him coming back will be just purely acceleration. Again, the big thing, the worst game he had last in in twenty in twenty twenty one was the game against Sheffield United. It's behind closed doors, and I can audibly hear members of United's coaching staff going movement and toe movement and this is a time when Martial can accelerate and he just looked confused and that speaks to a wider problem of something going on at Manchester United and a wider problem with Martial's United career in that his movement during attacking segments when United have the ball can be quite poor he sometimes 
makes the wrong run and runs into areas that you shouldn't do because you're overlapping with Marcus Rashford or you're getting to another area with Bruno Fernandes. And that, again, if we take Martial's words, I'm going to put down to how Martial is being taught rather than how Martial responds to that teaching because he says some nice things about Louis van Gaal and I know Louis van Gaal had some very strong words about how that man needed to move in and around the penalty area. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt but I am also, like, as a teacher, just going to go, okay, but when you come back, we need to work on these bits of homework. Yeah, exactly that. And that was going back to the, the theme of what I was sort of intimating earlier on, that if you're going to say all these things, you need to now prove that they're correct. And they were the reasons why there was problems. We don't know yet when he's going to be back fit either. Uh, Eric Senhag's not given a great deal of detail on on the severity of his, uh, his Achilles injury. Um, I'm sure it'll be a topic um, for the preview and, and of course the match on Thursday as well Andy look at him at Sevilla I spoke to lots of people there it didn't work out for him I didn't hear anything negative about him as a person I heard people use really strong words about his failure as a footballer at Seville um, one person said to me he was given a lot of love from the dressing room but he didn't give it back he was cold and distant there was nothing in the media either. An interview with the official channels when he signed. Nothing in the press room. No connection with the supporters. There was complete indifference to him. He wasn't even whistled. He didn't play in the final games and nobody cared. So that's him. I think he puts up the barrier. And he's entitled to do that because that's his privacy. He doesn't need to connect with everybody. But people are going to make judgments. It's entertainment. They're going to make judgments. And... If he had scored 12 goals at Seville, they would have flipped that to he's cool, he doesn't need to connect with supporters, he's ice cool. You know, that's what football fans are like. They make snap judgments. Yeah, true. And if you're a striker, you're going to be judged on your output. It it always goes like that, doesn't it, to be fair? Um, An interesting point in there about numbers as well. Uh, We could do a whole podcast on this and the effect that numbers have. Of course, the number nine was taken off Martial when Zlatan Ibrahimovic arrived. He explained the story behind it from his perspective. Uh, We could say the same about Edison Cavani and Cristiano Ronaldo. The noise at the time was that he seemed happy for the seven to be passed to Cristiano. However, his form never really seemed to be the same. Not wearing that number, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I don't know. There's Antonio Valencia giving the number seven back all those years ago. There's lots of things we could talk about. We haven't got the time. Hopefully we can look forward to Manchester United playing again this week as well, if all the issues can be sorted out. Certainly they're going to play on Thursday and we'll pod again after that match uh, to react to Manchester United taking on FC Sheriff and Andy and Laurie's journey over to Moldova as well. But all it leaves me to say is thank you for being with us, Andy and Carl. Thank you for listening at home as well. This has been Talk of the Devils and we'll be back later on in the week to reflect on that match. Thanks for being with us and we'll see you on the next one. The Athletic.